Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Travis, the lead pastor here. So thankful that, that you have joined us today and um, excited to just be together as uh, we are in a season of believing for God to stir up revival in our midst. And it's something that, it's, it's something that we carry at, at all times, something we believe for, something we believe that God is wanting to pour out. And, and yet here we are now in a, in a focus season of looking at different revivals in the Bible and saying, God, what can we learn? What can we implement from those things as, as we're believing for him to pour out his spirit among us. And, and so uh, it's an exciting season for that. I think uh, for me, more than uh, even maybe other t- st- studies that we're doing in the Word of God or books that we're going through, I, I feel this, this impetus and something that you've, you hear me say often that we don't want to be simply hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And, and when we're talking about something like revival, to me, it just feels a little pointless to just learn some things about revival or to like, oh, that's a cool thing that happened in the Bible when God was reviving his people. If we're not going to have some kind of implementation into our lives of how do we apply, how do we seek after, what are we learning to then say, God, won't you pour out your spirit on us in our day? And so we're really going after kind of that, that practical application piece in, in our own hearts, in our own lives. And as I said earlier, that's why we're challenging people to, to fast one day a week over the course of this series. That's why we're having a, you know, early morning prayer on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. in their prayer room, just trying to, to have places where we can gather and believe and, and keep it uh, more at the forefront of our minds. And, uh, and so uh, maybe along with that, I, I would say this, it, it was a little bit of a nuance, but we were going back and forth uh, between what this series would be called, Rhythm of Revival or Rhythms of Revival. It was originally Rhythms. Actually, last Sunday morning, I was like, I really think it needs to be Rhythm. And I know that's a little uh, uber detailed for, for what does it, does it really matter? No, it doesn't really matter. But here's the reason why we did that uh, is, is because there's a little bit of a, a nuance with, with the Rhythm of Revival for me, it was just this, this singular upfront desire uh, to stay in rhythm with God. Last week, we kind of talked about staying on his feet and moving where he moves. Uh, the way I was, another way to think about it is, is the heartbeat of God, that, that, uh, that we all have a heartbeat and we want to keep that in, in rhythm. And uh, my oldest daughter is running cross country right now. And on their cross country team, uh, often they will, they will check their, their heart rate. And, and at times they actually have to stop running if it, if it gets too high. It's like, hey, that's not, a, that's not a healthy heart rate. This is where it should be. Uh, so different things like that. Obviously, there can be other kind of uh, heart rate issues that people have. My, my roommate and I in college like to play racquetball. And uh, we, he, we were both racket sport guys growing up. He was way better than me in tennis. That wasn't very much competition, but I could hold my own in the racquetball court. And, and, uh, and he would have, he would sometimes have to sit down because he would have like this racing heart and these heart palpitations. And, and so this happened a few times. I'm like, man, dude, you should probably get that checked out. Well, uh, his, his doctor actually made him stop playing racquetball with me because, because of how intense it would get, not only the physical exertion, but I also noticed that it usually happened when I was winning. And so there was, I think, a little bit of an anger issue that was being exposed as well. Um, but he had to stop. The doctor's like, hey, that's not good. You need to keep your heart in rhythm. And so the, the idea of this, this rhythm is that we would, we would have the, this, the keep our heartbeat in line with the heartbeat of God. What are the things that are on his heart? 
And, and how can I draw, draw in close to the degree that the, the way my heart is beating is in rhythm with his heart? And, and really, for me, that rhythm is what is key to us experiencing the reviving of God. We're, we're just, we're wanting to lean in. We want to know. We want to, we want to draw close. Now, the rhythms of revival could have worked as well for this reason, because each week, kind of the structure of this series, we're going to be going through different uh, revivals in the Bible, and there are different elements that we're going to kind of draw out of the, the passage of Scripture that were key to each particular revival. Now, there's a lot of overlap where uh, the, the different keys to the, the revivals are, are, are the same in different ones, but we're going to be drawing out certain things like hey, repentance or, or, or prayer, or like we're going to talk about today, humility. These were aspects that kind of led to the reviving of the people of God. And, and so there's, a, there's certain rhythms. So maybe that's like a spiritual disciplines or, or things that we implement into our lives that are continual rhythms that, hey, we want to be a people that, that pray, that humble ourselves, that live in repentance. And so those are the, the rhythms of revival. But, but you kinda, this, is, this is where we're going. This is the desire that we would lean in close and it, and it might get a little uncomfortable at times. And there, there's a place for us to move through it. For some reason, what came to my mind on that was a summer that I spent in Turkey years ago. Um, we, we, uh, I made a, a, one of the closest guys I, I befriended and, and got to spend some time with and invest in was, a, was an Afghan refugee living in Turkey working on his medical degree. But, um, but, the, but they are, the, the men in that culture are very much more affectionate. And so everywhere we went, we would link up arms and go. And I'm like, okay, here we go. We're linking up and uh, we're walking down the street, you know? And there, were, there was others doing that too. So, but for me, I don't think I ever f became fully comfortable with it. Every time I was like, oh, yep, we're doing it again. And uh, we're, walking, we're walking and here we go. And, and it was a little uncomfortable, but man, we, we were in step with each other. I mean, we, we were going down the street and talking. And, uh, and it's some of that kind of like drawing in near where maybe there's even a little bit of discomfort um, because obviously it was not uncomfortable for him, but for, for me and kind of our culture and what I was used to, there was, there was some discomfort there. And, and sometimes there's discomfort because of our, uh, our religious experiences or because of, uh, you know, maybe experiences with authority in our lives or our own father or different things. There can be certain levels of like, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with walking closely with God in that way. And he's just, he's gracious and he's patient but he's always inviting us in to know his heart and to know the things that, that, uh, that his heart beats for. And so today we're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles, and we're going to be looking at chapter 34, 2 Chronicles 34. And we're going to look at a revival that happened among the people of God in Israel under the leadership of King Josiah. And, and so we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34. As you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of the context of uh, what's going on before we pick up reading in verse 18. So Josiah is king, and uh, he became king when he was eight years old. And so he got an early start to this. Um, he didn't have uh, people before him that modeled well walking with God. His father and his grandfather did wicked in, in the eyes of the Lord. And, and yet it says of Josiah from an early age uh, that, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn to the left or to the right. And so pretty incredible thing to be said about a young man when he was 16 years old, eight years into his reign. Uh, he began to take down some of the, the um, 
the, the high places and the, the altars that were, bu- were built to other gods. And he began to bring some reform. When he was, when he was 26 years old, he uh, decided to rebuild, kind of refurbish, I'd say, the, the temple, uh, to refurbish the temple and kind of clean it up and clean it out and, and, and fix up some things. And so when they were doing that, they found the book of the law. So that, this, this is how far that, that Israel had kind of departed from the ways of God, that the, the book of the law had, had been lost. The word of God that had been given to them had been lost and forgotten. It's so much so that the people didn't even know that there was a book of the law. And so th- this is where we are, that, that this guy's trying to do right un- unto the eyes of the Lord. He doesn't have the book of the law. He just, he, he just is, but he's trying to clean things out. He's trying to honor God uh, in, in every way that he knows how. And then this book of the law is found. And in verse 18, we pick up just after it's found. And it says, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Josiah, that Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So here's this book we found. All of a sudden, he begins reading it. In verse 19, it says, When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Aachim, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. And she lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. And she said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But tell the king of Judah uh, who sent you to acquire of the Lord this, This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. He says concerning the words you heard, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. So the people of God are not in a good spot. Josiah has begun making some reforms, but now he's recognizing where they, where they truly are and, and what needs to happen. And, and we see a, a man who responds to the Lord. That he, he begins responding as this story unfolds. And uh, the, the first thing that he does is he, is he tears his robes, a sign of brokenheartedness. We'll get to that in a moment. And, and then he goes and, and inquires of the Lord. And he, and he sends uh, for, for a prophet to speak into what, what's going on and what have we missed. And this, uh, this prophet begins to speak of uh, the, the judgment of God that is promised for the waywardness and rebellion uh, of the people. And, and she says, this will happen. It's, it's going to come to pass, but, but God has heard your cry. 
and he has seen your heart. He's specifically seen your humility, and he is, he is going to delay that. There is going to be, more, there is going to be grace extended uh, to you and to the kingdom because of the way that your, your heart has turned towards me. And so we, we see a, a really powerful passage of Scripture that here in the midst of, of the, the anger and the, and the just judgment of God against a, a, a wicked and adulterous people, that if you, if you read the chapters before that have just gone, uh, gone way sideways in their worship of other gods and, and detestable practices that they've implemented of the, of the nations that surrounded them, and, 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 and yet God hears the cry in the midst of all that of this man, and, and we find out why. There in verse 27, let's read that again. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. So we see four things that causes the ear of God to, 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 to hear to, to really hear, to, and, and I think in that, obviously, he hears at all times, but to, to hear and to respond. There's a responsiveness to the ear of God when he sees, first of all, a responsive heart. He saw in Josiah a responsive heart. And there is a, a longing in us, even in, in speaking earlier of us wanting to, to have a heart that beats for the things that are on God's heart. That's a responsive heart. It, it responds. This is exactly what we're talking about. All of a sudden, there's revelation through the word of God about the, the, the character of God and the statutes of God. And, and all of a sudden, his heart is responding and saying, I want that. My heart is out of rhythm with the rhythm of the grace and goodness and statutes of God, and I got to get in rhythm with that. So there was a, a response, an immediate response in his heart. God is drawn. He is drawn to the responsive heart that, that moves to humbling yourself. It says it twice. You humbled yourself before me. You, you, didn't, you didn't stand up and say, well, we, we've been doing this, or we tried to do that, or there, there was no excuses there, there was no like, well, we haven't had it, so we didn't know. It was just a, an immediate humbling of his self before God. There was, there was, a, there was a sorrow. In, in, it says that, uh, another thing it says there in verse 27 is because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your robes. This was, it's the first thing he did. As soon as this guy started reading from the book of the law, he tore his robes, which, which is a, a sign of, of grieving of brokenheartedness. There, there was a tenderness in Josiah, a way that he walked closely with God that caused him to immediately be heartbroken over the fact that he and his people had not been operating and obeying the, the word of the Lord, operating under and obeying the word of the Lord. There was an immediate grief that filled his heart, so much so that, that ultimately it says, and, and you wept in my presence. There was, there was something beautiful about those tears that, that out of a, a genuine response to, to the revelation of God's heart, his standards, that there was a weeping. 
And I think there is an opportunity for us today to respond to God. And, and there's two ways I see Josiah really doing that, or, or you know, a couple of ways that that can happen, and, and Josiah is somewhere in the middle, because sometimes there is just a, a revelation that you have from God, from his word, or something that's shared with you, or you know, what is, something that comes about that you just are aware of your own sinfulness. You know, and, and if you're married, there's plenty of opportunities to become aware of your sinfulness and to humble yourself, right? There, there's opportunities to do that uh, all around, and we, we need to practice that. And, uh, and, and so what happened for, for Josiah is that he, he humbled himself, and there was, there was opportunity taken for his own actions, but he was also choosing to humble himself because, remember, he was already seen as a man that was following God, was making reform, wasn't looking to the left or the right, you know, falling after other idols. He was trying to seek God. And so one of the things that we see is, is this place of, of repenting for, for what others had done, how others had, had forgotten about, about the Lord, be, that his anger was poured out because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And so he, there was a choosing of humbling himself. And, and the reason I, I, I sense for us, I guess, a couple of reasons. One is God is leading us here as a church. You know, if this is your church home, there is something that he's doing in us in this season where we say, okay, God, we want to pay attention to what you're doing. And if you're asking us to humble ourselves, whether there's something specific or some great revelation that we have or whatever uh, or, or not, we have the opportunity to come before God and humble ourselves. And one of the reasons we want to do that, not only because God is leading us as a church into it, but is because we recognize that there are always going to be blind spots in our lives. It may not be quite as big as the blind spot that these guys had where they had misplaced the word of God for a couple of generations and nobody even knew about it. You know, that's a pretty big blind spot. Like, oh, there's a lot in here we're not doing. But we've got our own blind spots where we don't recognize uh, things that, that are maybe ways that we have that we, that we have become cold or, or distant or where we've allowed uh, the truth of God that, that's very clear to, to become uh, murky, you know, whatever it might be, I think that there is a tenderness that we see in the brokenheartedness of, of Josiah that, that came out in humbling oneself. And when we're able, when we're in that spot where we're always wanting to, to humble ourselves before him, it gives God every opportunity to speak into those blind spots around us. And so we want to be a people that humble ourselves in, in that way. And, and, and here, you know, it's interesting. Here's the, the kind of Webster's Dictionary of Humility. It's freedom from pride or arrogance. Freedom from pride or arrogance. There's not a lot of people that are going to stand up and wave their hand, plus then they would be accused of pride or arrogance, to, to say, hey, I'm free of pride and arrogance. You know, like there, there's not a lot of us that are living in that space where we just like, where we can declare that we are free from, from ever thinking that our opinions are, are better than others or our ideas are more lofty and that others should adopt all of them. You know, all, however the, the workings of pride and arrogance manifest themselves in our lives, very few people would, would, would fit under this Webster's definition of a freedom from pride or arrogance. And, and all the more that we would say, God, I need to continually humble myself before you. 
But here is maybe a, a more appropriate uh, kind of definition or idea uh, behind humility, in, specifically uh, for the, the follower of Christ, uh, the, the one who is of the, the people of God. And, and it's this, it's the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. So we're, we're talking about the self is pride and arrogance. It's the promotion of, of the self. It's self-exaltation. And so, but, but if you just leave it at that, it's like, okay, I'm trying not to do that. But, but that's almost, or it is impossible uh, to, to become freedom from pride or arrogance for, for the person that does not walk with Christ because there has to be a replacement there. So it's the displacement of the self and the promotion of self because of the enthronement of God in our lives. It's seeing him rightly. It's hard, it's hard to uh, be, be self-exalting when you, when you live in light of the cross and the glory of God and who he is. And so in that place, we are, we are humbled. We learn to humble ourselves uh, from, from that place. In, in fact, Jesus says it this way in Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so there's this really sweet picture here. We are called to humble ourselves, recognizing that he is the only one worthy of exaltation. And when we walk with him and when we see him in the true light of who he is, that becomes a natural response that well, I, I come low, I bow before him, he is the king. But then there's this beautiful thing that God does that when we go low in that regard, when, when we humble ourselves, in the end, he actually exalts us. Because the, the going low, the humility is not the abasement of self. It's, it's not walking around, uh, you know, condemning uh, your, yourself. It, it is, again, it is the enthronement of God and recognizing your position in light of his supremacy. And then the beautiful thing of God is that then he comes and says, the one that goes low, I'm actually going to exalt you and I'm gonna speak worth over you. You're right to exalt me. You know, you're, you are right to say that my ways are higher than your ways and that you, you know, my, my power, you, you do not compare to who I am, all those things. But then he says, and yet you have so much value and you have so much worth and I'm gonna give you authority and I'm gonna give you purpose. And so all of a sudden we are now exalted but he exalts the one who can remain humble in the midst of the exaltation. Not the one who is trying to promote self-exaltation, but the one who promotes his exaltation, who can remain humble even yet when they are exalted. And so this, this is the process of humbling ourselves so that God might give authority. He might, he might move us forward. And so that's what we enter into as we work on the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. This is what we see um, happening through the, the responsive heart, the humbling yourself, the, the tearing your robes, the, the brokenhearted grieving over the things that grieve God's heart, and, and even the, the weeping, the authentic weeping in God's presence that we see in Josiah. Then, then he moves forward, and I want to just read real quickly what, what happens as a result. It says in verse 29 that the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest, so he gathered everyone, and it says he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And this was the covenant, to follow the Lord 
and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And so he made this, this commitment, uh, this covenant before God and all the people. And it said, then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. And the people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. And Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. There was revival. There, there was a, a, a revival that, that came by the, the humbling of a nation. In fact, I would say there, there is no revival. There, there can be no revival apart from the humbling of the, the, the people of God. The people of God humbling themselves so that he might exalt them. I, I want to read one other passage of scripture here this morning that I think will be uh, significant for us. And, and for me, it really parallels what we see happening here in Second Chronicles. But sometimes I think, you know, it, it's such a, a different context and reality than the one that we live in when there was, uh, you know, kings and, and kingdoms and uh, other gods and worship of idols and burning incense to them. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we realize that's wrong and bad, but that's not really the, the language we use or the, the context that we're in. But I think that James 4 gives us a, a somewhat of a parallel to what we find here in 2 Chronicles 34 that will, be, that will be helpful for us in our effort to really apply what it is that we're learning from the Word of God into our, our present-day lives and context. So in, in James 4, I want to break it up into to three different sections here. The first one is verses 1 through 4. So James 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So this is a, a pretty tense situation that we find here in the book of James. It's a mess. So, and this is the first section. This is our mess. In the same way that we found the people of God in 2 Chronicles 34 in quite a mess, there, there was altars. There were idols in the land. They had lost the, the book of the law. Their, 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 the predecessors on the throne uh, were, did evil and wicked in the eyes of the Lord. They were in a mess. In the same way, James here is, is calling the church to account because we've we got to recognize that James, is a, it's, a, it's a letter written to the churches. This is not an indictment on, on the world. This is to the church and it's calling out fights and quarrels, disunity within the church. 
You don't have what you want, and so you're scratching and clawing for it. Your desires are going unmet, and so you're blaming other people, or you're trying and striving to make that happen. It's, it's not a pretty picture. You know, you, you, you kill, you covet, you, you do what, what you want to do, and, and you, you don't ask God. And even when you do, you don't receive because you're, you're, acti- you're acting with wrong motives. It's, it's not a pretty picture. It's, it's a mess. So much so that you're kind of making enemies with God by choosing the actions and attitudes and desires of the world. And so for us, for practical purposes, and I think to to be real, we need to try to put ourselves in the context of the scripture and say, what is the mess that we are in? It's not like everything is going just, you know, all all right in our day, in our world, and in, in our lives. And I'm not trying to say uh, your life is a mess or what, I'm not trying to make, I'm just saying that, that, that life can, can be messy. And that for us to really place ourselves in, in, in the scripture in that way can be helpful. Whether it's, again, just some personal things that you're, you're going through or, or ways that God is wanting to refine you. Or, or whether it's just taking a look at the world around us in, in the same way that Josiah did and said, I, I humble myself God, before you, because those that have come before me have not done right in your, in your eyes. And so he's humbling himself even on behalf of his nation and his people. And so it's right for us to say, God, we, we, we're in a mess. We're, we're, we're in a mess. We want to turn our eyes to you, but we, we, recognize, we recognize that. And then the next couple of uh, passages of Scripture are, are God's response to that mess, He says this in in verse 5, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. And that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God's response is is pretty remarkable. It begins in verse 5 to talk about the, the, the jealousy in God's heart for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us. The, the longing in God's heart for us to walk closely with him, that he jealously longs for the spirit that he made to dwell within you. To me, again, speaks of a, of a closeness, the, of, of a walking closely with God, staying in step with the spirit. And he gives us this grace. And, and this grace goes on to look something like this, where God opposes the proud. And I think even in that, there's grace. Because in our arrogance and in our pride, we are, we are going after the, our, our own desires and our own pursuits, our own selfish ambition. And, uh, and, all, and, and so it's really leading us away from the, the person of Christ, the ways of Christ. And so he opposes us. He opposes the, 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 those who are proud, but then he extends grace to the humble. He extends grace to the humble. And so this is God's response to our mess as he still draws us to himself in the midst of the mess. And he's looking for those who he can extend grace because they have humbled themselves. He's looking for those that are saying, yes, God, we are in a mess And and I'm not going to make excuses. I don't want to point fingers. I just want to humble myself for any part that I've played or humble myself on behalf of of my people or, you know, my family, whatever it might be. That we come and we we humble ourselves 
and experience the favor of God. And so th this is, I believe, uh, uh, the, the pathway out of that mess is, is, is shown in the next few verses here, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So the, the way out of the mess is kind of spelled out here. Six things that kind of are spoken of in these four passages. First one, submit yourselves then to God. Okay, so if, if you're in a mess and you want to respond to God's heart that's drawing you in, this is what you do. You submit yourself to God. So again, it's just com it's coming low before him. It's submitting every part of who we are to God. There's no place that he does not have, uh, that we are not giving him the authority to speak into, uh, to call into account. We are laying it all before him. We're submitting ourselves to God. The second one is resisting the devil. So we're resisting the devil in the way specifically in the context of the scripture that he doesn't want us to, to humble ourselves. The enemy does not want us to humble ourselves before God. He would much rather us operate in our pride. God's having to oppose us. There is no fruitfulness in our lives. Uh, there, there, is, there, is, there is bitterness. There is uh, all of the things that we read before where there's now quarreling. There, there's fights among you. All, that's where he wants to keep us. So we're resisting the urge to do that, to consider our opinions lofty, to, you know, to operate in, in that line of thinking rather than Submitting ourselves to him. So we've got to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, recognize that he does not want us to do that, and rather, number three, come near to God. So we come near to God. All right, again, right in line with what, what we're talking about in, in, the, in the rhythm. It's, it's what, we're, what we see in the life of Josiah. That's why there was such a tenderness in his response, because he had, he had drawn near to God. He had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as it says in 2 Chronicles. Number four, it says, wash your hands, purify your hearts. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more and more about laying down idols and walking in holiness. And so some of these things are really going to be, be coming out uh, more and more. But we come to him and say, God, wash your hands, purify your hearts. You know, ex ex you, know you have permission to expose any uh, way, wayward way in me. And then he says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. There's, there's an element of brokenness here. I would say that the, the fifth thing there is just a brokenness. It, it, that's, the, that's the tearing of the robes. Like, God, we, we, we grieve. We mourn. We're brokenhearted over, over the, the plight of our nation. We're brokenhearted over the, the, the sin that's been exposed in our lives. And, and so we, where there's a brokenness that, that ultimately comes out in humility. It ultimately comes out in, in, in verse 10, humble yourselves then before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, it's this picture that, that Jesus had spoken of in Luke of when you humble yourself. That's, there's a going low to that. There's a submitting yourself but that he will lift you up. 
he will lift you up. In 1 Peter 5 and Colossians 3, uh, we have, you kind of have, you have James, you have Peter, you have Paul, all addressing this, this idea of humbling ourselves. And they, uh, those guys speak of it in, the, in terms of clothing yourself with humility. And I think there's something that God wants to clothe us in. Not, not just an action in this moment, which I'm going to be asking you to respond for, for those that, that feel led in a moment. But, but more than even just a, a response in a, in a moment in, in this time and space, that there would be a, a clothing in humility. Something that we operate in as a people. I've been reading up on some of just the revivals throughout church history and uh, was reading some quotes this week uh, um, about the Azusa Street revival and um, and one of the, the, the real demarcations that they were calling was the humility, that everybody they talked to were like, there was just a humility about them. They weren't talking about humility. They weren't, there was just something that was on them. There was just a humility. And I think there, there's a desire in the heart of God for as, as, as Paul and Peter captured it, there is to just to be clothed in it. So that's my prayer for us as a church is that in the midst of the mess that we would choose to humble ourselves before a good and gracious God who desires actually to, to exalt us. In the midst of us trying to exalt Him, He's actually, actually, I want to give you authority. I want to speak value and worth over you because you have so much purpose and calling. But we can't get there without humbling ourselves. And so God, we want to position ourselves today before you in such a way that you are honored, you are exalted, that we humble ourselves, that you might receive glory. God, I pray that there would be a grace present today for us to choose to humble ourselves. as we do that maybe, and for maybe some there's, there's a fresh conviction that we just need to humble ourselves but and I pray that there's also this grace to choose to humble ourselves and that as we do it Lord that you would bring up anything in us that you want to speak to that you want to deal with that you want to remove for our good and for your glory and purposes of God are beyond comprehension. Even when we think about revival and like, oh God, if it could be this, or what if you did this, the things that are in his heart make the things that are in our heart or that we could dream up pale in comparison. He's just looking for a people that would humble themselves. That he might be exalted. And then when it's clear amongst that group of people that he is exalted, that then he can start exalting them knowing that their lives will continue to give him all the exaltation. 
even in the midst of a great outpouring of his spirit or authority and, uh, and favor in, in this earth. And so, God, we humble ourselves before you today. I invite you to stand with me. As we did last week, we're going to have our ministry team over uh, kind of on the, on the sides uh, of, of the building. And if you need prayer for anything, please don't leave this place without getting prayer. We believe that God answers prayer. We believe that it's so, so important as the church to, to bear one another's burdens, to not carry things alone, but, but share that with others that they can pray for you and believe for God to bring breakthrough no matter what the situation is. If you're carrying a grief or a burden, um, please go and, and find one of our ministry team members. They'd love to pray for you. We're doing on that on the side again because we're, we're leaving the front just open as, as an altar. A place for us, as it says in Romans 12:1, to, to bring a, a, a living sacrifice. That's ourselves as a living sacrifice, and that's our spiritual act of worship. And so we're just kind of viewing this as, as an altar where we're just coming and saying, God, I, I surrender. And specifically today, we're saying, God, I humble myself before you. I know you don't have to come forward to humble yourself, but at the same time, we're just trying to offer a space for, for those that are feeling stirred to say, God, I just want to choose to humble myself today, to have a space to come and to do that before him, that we might be a people who exalt him and are humbled in light of the enthronement of God in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you today, and you don't have to even hesitate. If God's stirring in you to humble yourself, let's begin moving forward right now. Let's not leave this place without allowing God to do the full work that he's wanting to do in us um, as, as we bring to him a, a submitted heart, as we bring to him a heart that longs to be in rhythm, a responsive an undivided heart. Let's not leave this place without responding to God.